All right. If you haven't gotten your coffee yet, I recommend that you do that because we're going to get into it today. You need to be sharp. You look sharp. You look good. Must have been sunny this week, you know? Some of you are looking slightly less uh, missing the sun than you were a couple weeks ago. So let's pray before we get started. Father, I just pray you be with us as we get into your word. As we think, as we grow, God, let your Holy Spirit just be in this place in power, as I know you are, Lord. Where two or more are gathered, there you are with them in their midst. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Help us to seek you with our hearts, with our minds, with our soul, with our strength, and to love you, to love our neighbor as ourself, to live the life that you've given us to live in your name. Amen. You know, memes, you know, memes are probably... Uh, they're rarely smart, I've noticed. They're rarely smart. They're rarely researched or like footnoted or like, uh, you know, there's very, there's very little way to know whether they're true and often they're not true. Um, just because you say something doesn't make it true. I don't know if you knew that in this day and age, but it is actually true. And adding a picture of like a cat or a woman yelling at a cat or... <laughs> A baby or a baby Yoda or something like that does not make some statement that you've put with that true just because you've done that. Here, here's this, this, this meme I saw the other day. It was a picture of this good-looking guy standing in front of an American flag, and the words said this. It said, I was born a sinner too. My sin is mentioned in the Bible 25 times. I tried to change, but I couldn't. Luckily, society learned to accept us left-handed people. A guy named Nicholas Ferroni is an educator and activist. Mr. Ferroni was apparently trying to make a point, um, I think originally in a Twitter post, about things like LGBTQ issues and things like that. Um, and whoever made the meme was trying to make the point even stronger with more effectiveness by adding the picture and the flag and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, the problem with the point is this. Uh, it doesn't say anything in the Bible about being left-handed. It's not a sin. It's absurd to suggest such a thing. Um, there's nothing in the Bible that says it's wrong to be left-handed, and certainly it doesn't say it 25 times. It's just a lie, right? But it's on a meme, and here's the problem. When you put something like that on a meme, and it hits your Facebook or your Twitter or your Instagram or your Snapchat, I don't know them all. I'm going to stop there because I'm going to say one that I don't know. Your bleep bop and your you know, I'm, a, I'm old, okay? But when it hits that and you see it and it says something like that, here's the problem. A lot of people just believe it. Oh, the Bible must say it's wrong to be left-handed. Well, I can throw the Bible out then. Right? Because it's, it's a meme. It's a good-looking guy. It says, I'm an educator. And what? I mean, educator, you know? And I'm all for educators. My wife is one. If I wasn't all for them, I'd be in trouble. So I'm all for that. But the Bible says a lot of stuff, and nothing that it says has anything to do with it being wrong to be left-handed. But the problem is they're trying to make a point, a larger point, by using that that's also not true. And so these things that kind of get into us, most of us probably don't think that we fall for things like, like memes, right? Like, like these simple postings and things like that. We probably think we're, we're too smart for that. But the fact is we all do fall for them at some level, right? One of the reasons is we don't have time to research every single thing we see. And so there's a lot of quick sayings that are untrue or quotes that people claim came from your favorite author or from the Bible or something like, see, this was C.S. Lewis sometimes. There'll be this quote and it'll be like, C.S. Lewis. And I'll be like, nope, didn't say that. He did not say that. He would not have said that. But there it is. It's on a meme. So you assume that it's true, right? You might even share it. But it's not, right? Here's the problem. 
The internet is basically a dumpster pile of everything in the world, all the information. And if we're not very careful, very, very careful, we will find the wrong information when we look. Now, I'm not giving a sermon this morning on how to use the internet wisely. That would be a good sermon, and I may do that at some point, but that's not how we're going to do that. I'm telling you this because we're in a series called White Lies. White Lies, right? Exposing half-truths and protecting the gospel. And I've noticed that one of the ways that half-truths kind of get out there and get into people's mindset is through false sources on the internet. It's kind of a cultural phenomenon, right? It's kind of where we go for information now. And, and it's been harder and harder to know whether the information we're getting is true or false. But for some weird reason, it doesn't seem to make people any less likely to believe it with a fervor like I have never seen, right? I, there's a lot of people out there with no expertise in an area that they suddenly have a lot of opinions on because they listen to a podcast, right, or whatever, and they just take it, right? Now, a lot of the opinions people hold based on this stuff are relatively harmless, but let me tell you what's not. What's not harmless is when people get things wrong about the scriptures, that's not harmless. It's not harmless. The truth is, few of those opinions really are harmless. You should want to know what's true. There are plenty of people out there who place, say plenty of things about the scriptures. Plenty of false things about the scriptures. In fact, if you don't know how to sift through that garbage dump on the internet to pick out what's true and throw away what's false, you are likely, if you go in and you're doing a session looking about things on scripture, you're likely to find some false things that people are saying as if they were true. You have to be very, very careful. You will end up with false ideas about the scriptures. We've become, as a culture, I'm not blaming you, but I'm, I'm one of these people, we've become very lazy in our thinking and in our studying, and it has led us to broken and twisted ideas about the scriptures. Now, there's a number of people, there's kind of a phenomenon that's been going on for a while, where these people are what they're calling deconstructing their faith. They're deconstructing their faith. If you remember from our last study, and if you weren't here for that, it's on the internet, and be here next time. Um, but we were, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine, really. It doesn't bother me at all. I cry a little bit. Um, we were walking through some issues with what some people call progressive Christianity or liberal Christianity. And please remember, these are not political terms. I know that progressive and liberal have a meaning in the political sphere. That's not what these are about. Progressive and liberal in this context has nothing to do with that. Um, it, it's basically people who share a set of beliefs about the scriptures, about God, about truth, about right and wrong, about who we are, about who God is, that are what they would consider to be progressive or liberal uh, you know, more open, but actually are just false beliefs, okay? False beliefs about what Jesus taught, about who he was, about who we are, about who God is. Um, some of them have come out of Christian communities where they claim they were not allowed to ask difficult questions about the scriptures, and I think that's probably true. That for in some places, in some churches, it's kind of frowned upon to ask questions. For those of you who have been here for very long, you know that is not the case. I can't get you people to ask enough questions because you don't want to hear me talk anymore. I, I get that. I get that. I've had that ever since I've been married, so I know that not everybody likes to hear me talk all the time. But you know you can ask those questions here, but there are some places where maybe they can't. Some of these people um, simply don't like the answers the scriptures gave them. I think that's a little more common. And they refuse to believe that God is who he says he is in the scripture because they want him to be more like what they think he should be. And so 
they go through a process called deconstruction. Now, it's a common term, deconstruction, in postmodernism. Oh, here he goes, postmodernism. We're in postmodernism again. Yes, we are. Because if you don't understand this, I don't know how you can be relevant to anybody in this culture. It's a common idea within postmodernism. And you remember that postmodernism is basically, if, if I take it down to its most basic belief, because it's sort of hard to define by its nature, it's just the belief that there's no, there are no true big stories. And by big stories, I mean explanations, beliefs, sets of beliefs that explain the world, who we are, where we came from, what we do, what we should do. The postmodernist says there are no true big stories. And even if there are somewhere out there, you could not possibly know them. So that's sort of the postmodern ethic, intellectually. It's the way that they think, okay? And so um, postmodernism just rejects everything, every authority, everything that is authoritative outside of an individual person. Okay, this is probably why, it's not probably, I'm just sure that it's why, um, the relatively new popularity of the expression, your truth. Something I did not hear when I was growing up, but I hear it constantly. Now, hey, you, you live your truth. Live your truth, or like the more, uh, sort of in that same vein, you do you. You know, you do you, live your truth. You know, whatever you believe is true. And in postmodernism, it makes sense. What other truth is there? It's whatever I think. Because there are no big stories, and there are no sources of authority. So that's the way sort of postmodernism works. And when you're doing the work of sort of applying postmodernism to your beliefs, what you're doing is you're basically rejecting all the sources of authority that you used to use. And this is kind of a process. Some people undertake this process knowingly. Like they go into that, I'm going to deconstruct. I'm going to deconstruct my faith or whatever it is. Some people do it without thinking much about it. It just sort of happens because they're not careful. That's the process of deconstruction. So when I say deconstruction, that's what I mean. For many people, one thing that they believe in is that God is the creator of the universe. Jesus Christ is God and that scripture is true. So if you're going to deconstruct your beliefs, this is where you're going to start. It's where you're going to start. Before we go further, I want you to understand something extremely important. Extremely important about being a Christ follower. Being a Christian or a Christ follower means we are trying to be like Christ. This is very important. We're trying to be like Christ. You're not trying to be like me. You know that. You're not trying to be like Billy Graham. You're not trying to be like, you're trying to be like Jesus. And to the extent that me or Billy Graham or you or you are being like Jesus, and of course we do want to be like that person. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But we're trying to be like Jesus. That's what we are. Jesus says this, John 8, 31 through 32. By the way, there's Bibles in those rows in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those. They're nice. Take one home. It's our gift to you. No charge. Just read it. It's good for you. All right. John 8, 31, 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If you abide in my word, do what I say. Live like me, then you're my disciples. Who's his disciples? Those who abide in his word. If you don't abide in his word, the implication is you're not his disciple. Luke 9, 22 through 24. Saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Will save it, I'm sorry. We are supposed to be Jesus' followers, his disciples. Means we want to be like him. Means we're willing to die. Means we're not just willing to die, we're going to live a life of death to ourselves and life to him all the time. We're going to believe what he believes. Jesus is the truth. This is what he says in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can you imagine somebody saying something like that today? You would have to go somewhere where there were a lot of drugs or a lot of people who have some real issues to hear somebody say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If your neighbor said that to you right now, you'd be like, <laughs> you wouldn't be wearing that. No, I'm just kidding. You wouldn't say that. And you're like, who's he talking about? You're just going to have to figure it out. No, I'm kidding. I'm not talking about anything. You would not believe it, right? This is one of those things about Jesus that, that just trips me out. The people who want to act like Jesus, and this is a problem with progressive Christianity. Like Jesus could have believed he was anyone but God. No, oh, Jesus didn't think he was God. Jesus didn't want people to worship him. What are you talking about? It's, like, it's just like the guy with 25 left-handed things. It's like, you have to read. The Bible is a book for people who want to take things seriously. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have to deal with that. Call him crazy if you want. Say he's lying about it if you want. Or fall on your face and call him Lord. That's it. Those are your options. He doesn't leave any others. He's the truth. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. We want to be like him. In order to hold the truth, you often have to stand against people's beliefs on multiple sides of an issue. You have to kind of take the unpopular place where you're not making anybody happy. An example. Some people think that Star Wars is just the best movie ever made. Some people think it's ridiculous and dumb. The truth, it's okay. Right? It's okay, right? Some of you are like, no, it's the best, or no, it's the worst. It's okay, okay? It's, it's a movie. It's a movie. I, I admit I do not actually know what Jesus thinks about Star Wars, but I'm trying to make a point here, so don't get too far into that. What does the Bible say about Star Wars? I don't know. It doesn't waste its time with that. Uh, you can probably think of many issues where there are extreme views on at least two sides, if not multiple sides. People are all the way over here. People are all the way over there. They're there, there, whatever. But you, you realize if you just kind of look at it from the outside that the truth isn't any of those extreme things, right? And you have to hold the one that's unpopular where you don't get to join the group that's going rah, rah, right? That's the, that's the thing that Jesus did. For instance, there were two groups in the first century walking around while Jesus was uh, doing his ministry in the first century uh, Israel. They were called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? Pharisees and Sadducees, these groups were very different. The Pharisees, they took the Bible and they saw there were some rules there. And so what they did is they took those rules and they thought, you know, we should probably get some rules about these rules. And the other ones were like, you know what? We should probably have some rules about those rules that are about those rules. And so they got to this point of kind of extreme legalism. Okay, it was all about the rules. They were kind of popular with the folks. They were kind of the everyman type guy. And then there were the Sadducees, elites, wealthy. They were actually pretty conservative about the scriptures. They actually only believed really in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those books they believed in. Really the rest of the Bible, they're kind of like, eh. So there were all kinds of things they didn't believe in that the Pharisees did believe in. And they had all, they just were totally different. 
Okay, they had, they had these, while they agreed on some things, they disagreed on so many. But one thing they definitely agreed on, they did not like Jesus, okay? They agreed that they did not like Jesus because Jesus consistently represented the truth of the scriptures. And this was aggravating to both groups because both of them had twisted what the scriptures were to suit their own desires, to suit the lifestyles they built, to suit the power structures that they had. They had twisted the scriptures. So Jesus coming out and being like, no, boom, this is what it says. This is what it means. And he had authority. And the people looked at him like, he speaks with authority, not like these people. And they didn't like it at all. He had to stand for the truth when the truth was unpopular. How unpopular was it? They killed him. I've said some unpopular things about the organ ducks. True things, but unpopular. Nobody has yet tried to kill me for that, right? So, well, okay, yet. Bring it on, buddy. Bring it on. All right. (laughs) Jesus was holding the truth in such a way that the people wanted to kill him because he wouldn't come to their side. Whether it was come over and say the Pharisees are the best or come over and say the Sadducees are the best or come and get the Romans and get them out or whatever they wanted them to do. He was like, no, I'm here to do what the scriptures say because that's why I'm here and they're about me. And people just didn't like it in the end. His own disciples, no, you can't go die. We have other plans for you. We know how it's supposed to be. Holding the truth is difficult. We have a tendency to want to swing to one side or to the other. Now, here's the problem with swinging. It causes us to often make serious errors in our thinking and therefore in our beliefs. This is essentially what happened with postmodernism. And if you don't understand this, you're going to have a hard time understanding people and the way they think. What happened with postmodernism is it was a reaction against modernism. What did modernists believe? Modernists from about, let's just say, what you would call the Renaissance that time, okay? Up until mid-20th century, really, modernism was still around. It's still around today, some people, but it was really popular then. And what it basically believed is, listen, here's what we've realized. We are really smart. We're so smart, and we're going to figure things out. Like, we're, we're going to use reason and science, and we're going to usher in utopia because we can use reason and science and figure all these things out. So they reasoned and they scienced, And by the 20th century, we have two world wars and millions and millions and millions of dead people. And people went, you know what? I don't think you're figuring it out. Made a lot of bombs. Made a lot of dead people. I don't think you have the answers. And so what postmodernism did is they just rejected it. And instead of just rejecting the parts of it that didn't make sense, they swung all the way over to this side. From we can figure everything out, we know everything, to we can't figure anything out, we don't know anything. Okay? Now, those are both extreme positions, but that is the nature of how people do things. They tend to swing from side to side. If you've ever seen a grandfather clock, I don't know how many of you have had one of those growing up or have one in your house. They have this at the bottom thing that swings, right? The pendulum. The pendulum swings. Now, what it doesn't do is it doesn't go from here to there. It goes from here to there, right? If you're listening on the thing, I'm going from one side to the other with my hands. So I know some people just listen. It always swings to the other side because that's just physics, right? If there's enough weight and so on and momentum, once it's here, it's not going to stop in the middle. It's going to go all the way to the other side. And sometimes our thinking operates like that. 
Sometimes it does. We find ourselves believing things, not because they're true, but because they are the opposite of what the people we disagree with believe. It happens. They, they're on that side, I'm on this side. Right? You see this in politics a lot. Just totally opposite sides. Because those people are dumb people, bad people, whatever. These people are good people, whatever. I won't tell you which side is which. Why, what does he believe? It doesn't matter. I care about the Bible right now, okay? We tend to swing to the opposite side of what the people who we disagree with on other things believe. That's the problem when you see, if you know somebody, or you're watching somebody go through the deconstruction process with their faith, that's the problem you're going to see them run into. Is that instead of seeing some issues and wanting to address those issues, they see those issues and they swing all the way out here. All the way out here to the other side. They may start by recognizing some things in maybe the church they go to, or some people they know, maybe they see some hypocrisy some bad behavior, some things that aren't consistent with scripture, maybe somebody won't answer a question, whatever, and instead of dealing with that issue, they end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. The whole thing goes, right? They may have been hurt by somebody. That happens. Someone calls themselves a Christian and they hurt somebody. Whatever it is, they go down the road of deconstruction and instead of, instead of being able to isolate and swing that pendulum where it needs to go, they just let it go. And at the end of the day, they've thrown away their faith and everything important about what it means. They end up somewhere in this range, okay? So there's this range of folks when you get to the deconstruction type thing. I suppose there's some that deconstruct and actually reconstruct back to faith. I think that does happen. But a lot of people end up in the spectrum. And on one side of the spectrum is progressive or liberal Christianity. And the other side of the spectrum is atheism and agnosticism, okay? And so they end up somewhere in here. Progressive, liberal Christianity, basically you start to reject a lot of things about Christianity that are true. And of course, atheism, agnosticism, you just reject it all. And they end up somewhere in the spectrum. Oftentimes they end up here, and then eventually they end up here. They find there's nothing. Once you get to progressive Christianity, you realize there's really not much left to it. Why not swing all the way over here? Then I don't have to feel bad about anything. So that's where people end up. That's a problem with pendulum swings. They rarely lead you to truth. They rarely lead you to truth. Jesus was able to live the truth and be the truth, even when lots of people wanted him to take a side. We have to do the same. We have to encourage other people to do the same. We have to follow Jesus in doing the hard thing. The hard thing... You want to live an adventurous life, you want to live a hard life, let me just tell you this. Do the hard thing. This is the hard thing. Standing for truth against every idea that is false, whether you like it or not. You know that there are false ideas that you like? Think about it. There are false ideas that you like. Every single sin that you ever want to commit, you don't commit it because you're like, I'm going to hate this. This is going to be terrible. But I'll do it because I feel like sinning today. That's not how that works. You like the idea. There are ideas that you like that are wrong. You have to do the hard thing and stand against every idea that is false, whether you like it or not. That's a hard thing. A real man, a real woman of God is able to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit because you aren't going to do it yourself. 
Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Why do you have to bring your thoughts into captivity? Because some of them are bad. Some of them are wrong. Some of them are false. We bring them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's the hard life. That's the adventurous life. I'll be your partner on it. A lot of people in this room will be your partner on it. But it is a hard thing. And it is being like Jesus. If you've been hurt, and I feel for those who have been hurt, you've been hurt in church, but you need to understand that the fact that you got hurt does not make everything about Christianity false. Because there are hypocrites, actually that's what makes Christianity true. It was very clear that there would be. We need to understand not only the half-truths that people have come to believe, but you need to also understand the reasons why they've come to believe them. Let's put people there. Because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm teaching about things like progressive Christianity and some other things in this series, not to show that we are intellectually superior to everybody else. Of course, I believe that what we believe is true as believers. I wouldn't believe it if I didn't believe it was true. That would be silly. But I'm doing this so that we can minister and serve people. In order to do that, you have to understand where they're coming from. Now, deconstruction begins by rejecting authority and sources of authority. I'm guessing that many people start by rejecting the scriptures. I think that's where a lot of folks begin. They reject the scriptures. In our last study, I explained that there are a number of things we believe as Christ followers that progressive or liberal Christians usually do not believe. Today, we're going to hit number one. The first one was this. Christians believe that the scriptures are God's word, inspired by God, and the scriptures are to be followed. That's what we believe as Christians. Simple. Progressive Christians do not believe that. Let me tell you a couple things, though. Jesus endorsed and fulfilled the scriptures, and Christ's followers have been living by the scriptures for 2,000 years. Okay? First thing. Why do we do it? What did we say earlier? We want to be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He endorsed the scriptures. He fulfilled the scriptures. We want to follow him? we got to do that. That's why Christians have been believing the scriptures for 2,000 years. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. It's teaching, okay? For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scriptures show us who we are, who God is, and what our lives should look like as Christ followers. It's what they are. Scriptures tell us why we need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. They tell us about Jesus' resurrection, that he rose from the dead on the third day. They tell us to love God. They tell us to love and serve God and neighbor. All those things. The scriptures are the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit and true. It's fundamental. It's fundamental. If the scriptures are not your authority, you have gone far from what it means to be a Christ follower. Progressive or liberal Christians may very well tell you they love the scriptures. They often will say that. I love the scriptures. We love them just like you love them. Here's the problem. 
They do not love them just like we love them. We love them because we believe they're inspired by the Holy Spirit and they're binding on us. We love them for that reason. We believe that we must be obedient to the scriptures, that in them there's life. And we believe that all that they say is true. Progressive or liberal Christians do not believe that. They reject the scriptures wherever the scriptures differ with their idea of who they think God should be or what a particular part of scripture should be. They reject the scriptures wherever they command us to live in a way that they consider to be out of date. You know, a lot of ways of living have become out of date over time. But truth is truth and will always be truth. Progressive or liberal Christians tend to go with sort of the spirit of the age. So if it's okay to do this in the culture, then where the scripture says it's not, the scripture's wrong. They reject it. They reject that the scriptures are the very word of God. They just reject that. This is why I do not believe that progressive Christianity or liberal Christianity are in any real sense Christianity. And my reason for that is because being a Christ follower has to mean something. It has to mean something. And one of the things it certainly means is that what we believe about the scriptures is the same thing as what Jesus Christ believed about the scriptures. If we don't believe the same thing about the scriptures as Jesus Christ believed about the scriptures, we are not following Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are not followers of Christ. Therefore, we're not Christians. So this is pretty simple. He believed they were true. So do we. If you do not believe that, you may be something, but you should not consider yourself a follower of Jesus if you reject the scriptures. There was an interesting interview in Portland Monthly some time ago with uh, Christopher Hitchens, the Hitch. It's called the Hitchens Transcript, and Mr. Hitchens has passed on now. He was a very staunch, very famous atheist. He was pretty amusing, to be honest with you. He would debate Christians, and, and he was more, much more better at kind of ridicule than argument, but he was kind of funny, um, and he was an interesting guy. Very famous and very popular among atheists. He's one of the I believe they call him the four horsemen of the new atheists, along with a number of other guys, um, passed on a few years ago. But a, a woman named Marilyn Sewell interviewed Christopher Hitchens. She was a Unitarian Universalist minister, and she called herself a liberal Christian. This is what she said about the Bible. She says, I take it very seriously. I have my grandmother's Bible, and I still read it, but I don't take it as literal truth. I take it as metaphorical truth. The stories, the narrative, are what's important. So in other words, she doesn't take it seriously. She doesn't take it seriously, at least not in the way we take it seriously, as the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. That's what we believe the Bible is. In any case, she asked Mr. Hitchens this question, okay? This is what she says. The religion you cite in your book, he had written a book about, about religion, saying it was bad, okay? The religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. I'm a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from the Scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make a distinction between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? This is what Hitchens, the atheist, says. I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not, in any meaningful sense, a Christian. Dang. Right? Christopher Hitchens, a seriously devout atheist, could see what Miss Sewell could not see. 
If you don't believe in the Bible, the scriptures, you're not, as he says, in any meaningful sense a Christian. Even he could see that. Hitchens goes on to say this in a different part of the interview. Paul says very clearly that if it is not true that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then we, the Christians, are of all people the most unhappy. That's just a kind of a paraphrase of what Paul said. He says, if none of that's true, and you seem to say it isn't, he's saying to this liberal Christian, I have no quarrel with you. If all Christians were like you, I wouldn't have to write the book. That's a burn, man. I'm telling you, this guy was, this guy was good. Um, he was wrong about a lot of things, but not about this. He's basically saying this. It's so sobering. If Christianity is what you're practicing, why would I even need to talk about atheism? Because it's basically what you're already doing. He thinks that Ms. Sewell's form of liberal Christianity is so tame that he would not need to write a book on atheism to deal with it. Because when the authority of scriptures is thrown out, this is so important, when you throw out the authority of the scriptures, there is nothing of any significance left in Christianity. The idea in the word progressive Christianity is that those who believe it are progressing somewhere. That's why the word is used, right? But apparently even an atheist can see that all meaning and impact of Christianity is gone once you reject the teaching of the scriptures. What do they say about Jesus? What do they say about truth? What do they say about life? What do they say about the resurrection? You start rejecting those things. And you might want to ask yourself as a progressive Christian, just where exactly am I progressing as a Christian when even an atheist doesn't recognize me as a Christian anymore? C.S. Lewis writes this in Mere Christianity. You guys heard of him? Okay, thought so. We all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. We are on the wrong road, and if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way on. If the pendulum is swung a little far, you might want to try going back, then keeping on going that direction. Because what you'll find is you haven't progressed Christianity at all. You have left it. You've left it behind. Rejecting scripture and deconstructing your faith will not bring you closer to the truth. It will take you further from it. It will take you further from it. Before we go further, I want to point out some good things that progressive Christians believe. Because it's important. I'm not here to sit here and dog on people. Okay, I want you to understand a few things that are good. There is some level to which progressive Christianity is a reaction. Remember, we talked about pendulum swings. A reaction to Christians who are unkind and unloving toward others. There are some who call themselves Christians who are extremely harsh, judgmental, and unloving toward those who they disagree with, toward those who they don't like, toward those who don't fit into their idea of how things should be. There are some Christians who seem to value some commands of Jesus for righteousness, but not value other ones. Generally, you would call those hypocrites, right? Some Christians spend a lot of time focusing on people's sexual sins and very little time caring for the needy. There are some Christians who use the Bible to defend their behavior or their ideas that are unjust, racist, sexist, classist, and a whole lot of other ists. And that's been going on for many, many, many years. So progressive Christians often say they care about kindness 
and equality, equity, service, justice. I think they really do care from what I can tell. Now, whether they solve those issues or have ideas for solving those issues in the way that they should be solved isn't what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the fact that many Christians seem to have swung the pendulum way too far the other way on these issues. Now, progressive or liberal Christians often talk about something called the social gospel. To give them the benefit of the doubt, I will assume that what they're talking about are the effects that the gospel should have on our social lives, on the way we live socially. Okay? If that is what they mean, they're right about that. The gospel should make us more loving, more kind, more just, more equitable. It should. We should care for the poor, the orphan, the widow. We should hate sin in the form of oppression against anyone. All of those things should be the things that we're fighting for as believers, as conservative, Bible-believing Christians. Again, conservative is not a political term. It has to do with the fact that you believe that the Bible is true. We should stand for those who can't stand for themselves. We should care for the heartbroken, the hurting, the prisoner, the immigrant, and the homeless. All of these things flow from Jesus' commands to us. Absolutely, they do. The progressive Christians aren't wrong about that. Listen to this. You want to hear some really sobering stuff from Jesus himself on this. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will say to the sheep on his right hand, but to the goats, he will set up the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say, ooh, left-handed. It's literally one of the things they point to. I'm like, oh my God. Then the king will say, (laughs) people are so dumb, right? Okay, anyway. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I want to hear that. This is what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Ooh, left hand. Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Wasn't prepared for us. Prepared for the devil and his angels. It's just the only place you can be if you reject Christ. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's sobering. This is a serious and dire warning. Jesus commanded us to love people and to serve people. Progressive Christians take this part very seriously, and they should. I commend them for it. But please listen. While every one of us should do these things, all of these things, the gospel is much more than just this. 
This is an implication of the gospel, but it's much more than just this. To reduce the gospel to just those things is to ignore so much of the scriptures and the riches and the life that is in the scriptures and so many other commands of Jesus besides these ones. For instance, if this passage is true, then this one is also. Revelation 21, 5 through 8. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Then he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give at the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But, but, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Here's the thing. If God said we're to feed the hungry and take care of the stranger or we go to hell, he also said we must be believing, like believe in the scriptures, and to be sexually moral, another issue that progressive Christians are way off on. Or else we go to hell. And truth tellers, or else we'll go to hell. In both cases, our only hope is Jesus Christ, people. It's my only hope. I'm all of this stuff. I'm a disaster. Both of these scriptures, I've, I've, I'm, a, I'm a mess. But Jesus Christ has saved me. That's our only hope. That's our only hope. Jesus Christ is death and rising from the grave and the free gift of grace he offers us. We are undone by these passages. If you're being honest with yourself, we are people who have not kept the scriptures. Ever told a lie? Doesn't look good. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, we're saved. By the grace of Jesus Christ, we can be with him. We can be with those who he says, yeah, you're with me. And not with those who he says, I don't know you. By his grace. If the gospel should have an effect on the way we see justice, it should also have an effect on the way we see sexual morality. Because it says both. If the scripture is true in one place, it is true in every other place. As Jesus says in John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. You can't break it. It only makes sense that we should love and serve and work for justice and equality. And it only makes sense that we should also believe the scripture, trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, and believe that God raised him from the dead. Those are all there in the scripture. You can't look at one and say we should do this and not look at the other and say we should do that. It doesn't work like that. If we should feed the poor, then we should honor marriage between one man and one woman for life. They're both there. If we should be kind, we should also be pure. We can't pick and choose which ones we think are good and which ones we don't. They can't, we can't, no one can that's why people didn't like Jesus. He was like, oh, you think you're good because you do this, but bam, bam, bam. And they go, mm, let's kill this guy. That's what happened. We don't want to be those people where he goes, yeah, you guys did this well. You guys do this well. You're really good about this thing and this thing, but man, what about this over here? What about this person who's poor or hungry or a stranger or naked in pain in prison and you walked by? We've got to be careful. But rejecting the scriptures means that progressive Christians are rejecting the very thing that gives life to all the things that progressive Christians says are important. Like equality, like justice. Where do you think you find those things outside of scripture? You don't. They're not there. 
There's no basis for them without God. Can't pick and choose. You ever seen, you've just been walking in the park and you see tree branches just floating in the air. There's no trunk or roots are just floating there. No, you have not seen that. (laughs) If you have, you probably should see a doctor. It's not how trees work. The branches aren't there without the trunk and the roots, right? Has to be there. Deconstructing the root and the trunk leaves you with branches hanging in the air. I think that we should be kind. I think that we should do justice and equality. That is a branch, an emanation from the gospel and from Jesus and from the scriptures. If you take away the scriptures and their authority and who Jesus is God and the resurrection and all the rest of that, all the branches go, there's not any left. You have nothing. You haven't deconstructed and been left with something good. You've deconstructed and been left with nothing, which is why Christopher Hitchens looks at you and goes, I don't think you, that word means what you think it means. <laughs> you keep saying this word Christian. I do not think it means what you think it means. You don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You don't believe in the Bible? You don't believe he's the Christ? You don't believe he's God? Why would you call yourself a Christian? That's what they believe. You get rid of the root, you get rid of the fruit. You can't do it. Rejecting the scriptures is rejecting Jesus. It's rejecting the root, and it's rejecting Jesus because he told us the scriptures are all about him. Listen, John 5, 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they, the scriptures, which testify of me. The scriptures testify of Jesus. You cannot reject the authority and the truth of the scriptures and have anything left of Jesus. You can't do it. You don't believe in it. You are not, as Christopher Hitchens says, in any meaningful sense, a Christian. The truth is that those who believe the scriptures and practice them actually do live lives that are more charitable, more full, and more loving. How do I know this? Science. There's an article by Caleb Morell about a study done some time ago, and it was written about by a guy named W. Bradford Wilcox. And you know, I like it when people use that first initial instead of a name. It just makes them seem really smart. W. Bradford Wilcox. Well, okay. Probably Wally, you know. Anyway, I don't know what it is. He didn't want to go by Wally, so he went by W. Bradford Wilcox. Sounds better. Anyway, the study found some interesting things about what this study refers to as conservative Protestant men. Now, for shorthand, I'm going to tell you what that means. Conservative Protestant men are men who believe that the Bible is true. Okay, What what we would normally call a Christian, most of the men in this room would fall in that category for this survey of conservative Protestant men. It's not a political thing. It has to do with a conservative view that the scriptures are actually true, as opposed to a liberal view that the scriptures are metaphorical. Okay, Make sense? That's what they're talking about. All right. This is what it says. By every metric, by every metric, church-going, that's important, conservative Protestant men outdo every other segment in the American population in the very areas that their critics most suspect them of wrongdoing. Wilcox found that church-going conservative Protestant Protestant men spend more time with their children. They are more likely to hug and praise their children. Their wives report higher levels of satisfaction. I'm sorry. With the appreciation, affection, and understanding, 
They actually do that too. I have another study on that fascinating stuff, but good job, guys. Um, Anyway, I had to go there. I had to go there. (laughs) If you're single, look for a man in here, okay? Anyway, um, and they spend more time socializing with their wives. Again, these family men are consistently the most active and emotionally engaged group of fathers and the most emotionally engaged group of husbands in this study. Indeed, the irony that Wilcox observes again and again is that conservative Protestants with antiquarian views on gender and the family come closest to approximating the new ideal man of liberalism. They're much closer to the person that the liberals say a man should be. Gentle, emotionally attentive, nurturing, appreciative, and kind. In Wilcox's words, these men take an approach to family life that comes surprisingly close to the new man ideal of active and emotionally expressive familial involvement celebrated in the society at large. He continues, compared to their unaffiliated and mainline counterparts, conservative Protestants, married men with children, are consistently the most active and expressive fathers and the most emotionally engaged husbands. Most importantly, in regards to domestic violence, Wilcox drops this bombshell. We have also seen that contrary to the predictions of their critics, church-going conservative Protestant men register the lowest rates of domestic violence in any group in this study. Indeed, church-going conservative Protestant family men have the lowest rates of domestic violence of any major religious group in the United States. Yeah, good job, conservative Protestant men. You know who they found out did the worst with these issues? It wasn't atheists. It wasn't progressive Christians. It wasn't some other religion. You know who it was? It was conservative Protestant men who do not regularly attend church. The very best group, conservative Protestant men who attend church regularly. The very worst group in the country, conservative Protestant men who do not attend church. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Now, what's the difference between church-going conservative Protestant men and non-church-going conservative Protestant men? Church-going Protestant men actually believe the scriptures and live them out because the scriptures tell us to be in the body, okay? So if we believe them, we're going to be in the body. Or online, for some of you who cannot be here, I understand. Unless you're online just because you didn't want to come today, in which case, come on, get back to church. We want to see you. We need you. We love you. Um... This isn't to say that there aren't many church-going, Protestant, conservative men who are terrible to their families. It doesn't say that no one ever has done it. It's just that if you're a woman or a child, and you have to just roll the dice of what group in America you're going to live in the home of, a conservative Protestant man who goes to, man who goes to church regularly is by far your best and safest bet. Safest emotionally, safest physically, safest for your children. Statistically, those are the facts. How about that? Right? Because we're, us conservative Protestant men, are not the monsters that people suggest. Because we're the ones who believe the scriptures, and the scriptures are the ones who actually give us the real form of the ideal man, Jesus Christ. And that's who we want to be like. The gospel does have implications, and those who are serious about the scriptures live those implications out. If you want to deal with hypocrisy in the church, then let's deal with it. We do not need to throw out the scriptures to do so. It's the scriptures that help us to weed out hypocrisy. If you have questions that are difficult, ask them. You do not need to throw out the scriptures because someone that you ran into either was unwilling or unable to answer your questions. Bring it. The scriptures teach us about life 
and the adventure of following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The scriptures speak to us of grace that we all need because we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve death. We all deserve judgment. But Jesus gave his life for us and rose again the third day. Lord willing, in our next session, we will study the right way to study the scriptures and correct some of these errors that the deconstructionists have caused. Lord willing, next time. You're like, not today, please. Yeah, I know. It's 1127. I get it. I told you to get your coffee early on. But for now, please know that rejecting the root leaves you without any fruit. It leaves you with nothing. Without the scriptures and the truth in them, we have no hope. Let me reiterate that. We have no hope without the scriptures and their authority in them being true. Do not be quick to deconstruct or reject them. If you see people going down that road, head them off before their pendulum swings all the way out into some sort of atheistic nonsense or some sort of atheistic Christianity, which is even worse. Life and hope are spoken of in the scriptures. We must believe in the scriptures. We must defend them. Listen, if you don't know Jesus today, you're sitting here, you saw these people baptized today, you're wondering, what is this all about? Let me just tell you. This is about the most important thing that you will ever do in eternity. This is about you recognizing that you and God have an issue right now. That you have not lived, as you well know, if you're honest with yourself, the way that you ought to have, and God cannot be with those who reject him. If that's you today, you've been rejecting God. I'll wait. I'll do it later. Maybe I don't believe it. Whatever it happens to be, listen, it's true. It's all true. Who he said he is, what he said he's going to do, who you are, made in his image and likeness, that you can be saved, that he paid for and atoned for your sins. It's all true. If you don't know him, today's the day. If you're on that list of people who I read that aren't going to the good place, but Jesus is very clear that there is a hell and those who reject him will go there. The only way out of there is through his grace. It's not through your work. You can't do enough. You're like, okay, let me get my stuff together. I'll come next week and then Jesus will be ready for me. No, there's nothing you can do to do enough for Jesus to be ready for you. The only thing that makes Jesus ready for you is you being ready for him and asking for forgiveness and understanding that at the cross he died for you and that there's grace and that there's forgiveness and that you can have eternal life in him. That's it. Cannot get there by what you do. Only can get there by what he's done. Understand that. If that's you this morning online, type something in there. Just say, I want to be saved. Or can I talk to a pastor or an elder? And we'll get in touch with you. If you're here today, you want to be saved? While we're singing here in a minute, I'm going to have the band come, come on up. And go ahead and come on up. And while we're singing, if you want to just make your way out these doors, right back past the restrooms, there's a room. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Dave and uh, Randy, if you guys would go back there to that room. If you need prayer for anything, just head back there while we're singing. You want to know Jesus? Head back there while we're singing. You got some things you need to do business with God about? Head back there while we're singing. Don't miss out on the opportunity to pray, uh, for prayer this morning. It can be powerful in your life. All right, let's pray. Father, you're good. Your scriptures are good. God, what else can we say? <laughs> Just see them. Do we have doubts? Sure, doubts come and go in everyone's mind. 
But what have you consistently shown me, Lord? That you are real, that you are true, that you are mine, that I am yours. That you saved me from a life that was going to hell in a handbasket. And showed me that you were the only way and showed me that you still loved me. That you shed your blood for me. God, thank you for the baptisms this morning. I love baptisms. I love to see people come to know you, Jesus, and I love them to follow you in baptism. What a great thing. Lord, help everyone who's been baptized and everyone who's been saved. All of us to continue to walk and become more and more like you, believing the scriptures because we have good reason to believe them and because we trust you. We don't lean on our own understanding. We trust you with all our heart. You're the one who's going to direct us and we ask that you do. Show us your will and show us your glory. We love you, Lord Jesus. Be with the people this week, those who are sick, those who are at home, those who can't be here. Lord, I pray you start to gather back to this church, those who haven't been able to be here for so long, who we desperately love and want to see and want to hug. (sighs) Heal this world, Lord, through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for rising again. We turn to you. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen.